Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. March 18, 1990, the most audacious art heist of all time took place at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Two men dressed as police officers were admitted into the building by security, claiming to be responding to a disturbance call. In 81 minutes, 13 pieces of art were stolen. Among the portraits stripped from their frames were works by Vermeer, Degas, and Rembrandt. Estimated at half a billion dollars, the heist has been categorized as the largest and most frustrating of all time. Theories of their whereabouts and those who perpetrated the crime are abundant. In this podcast series, we will dig as deep as possible into the case, the theories, and the social and economic impact the greatest unsolved art heist of all time had on the community. This is Empty Frames. Welcome to Empty Frames. I'm Tim, here again with Lance. What's up, Lance? What is going on, Tim? How do you feel about today's episode of Empty Frames, episode number two, season three? Well, Lance, I think we've really stepped in it so so far this season. I, uh, I, I, it's confusing, you know. I will say, like, I do feel like we're kind of we've kind of been dropped in the middle of what kind of seems now like a little bit of a personal feud going on with the gardener as a ba- as its backdrop. Yeah, this uh, season and the people that we've been speaking with in preparation for this season uh, is primarily about the recovery efforts for the 13 pieces of art that was taken from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And the recovery process has sort of uh, deteriorated in regards to the relationship between all of the, the parties involved. Everything that we are told is is alleged and, and sort of hearsay, but the pot is percolating is what I'm trying to say. In this episode, we speak to Turbo Paul Hendry, who is our old friend. He's been on the, these airwaves several times now, and uh, he speaks about this Gardner Reward Priceless that he spoke about in Season 1, episode called The Turbo Plan. Give that a listen if you haven't heard it yet. 
And now the second episode in a row, we've got someone that we're interviewing saying how much they they have kind of liked these the people that they're talking about and kind of now criticizing. In episode one, it was Casey Sherman with uh, talking about Anthony Amore and um, really pushing the reward price list for the stolen art as as the most important thing here. And now we have Turbo uh, talking about Art Recovery International and um, and Chris Marinello and how there's some back and forth there. And really, it's, again, all kind of comes back to the price list. So it's weird to us, I think, because we know that the price list is a good idea. But this infighting that we're seeing is just confusing and not a good idea. And you mentioned Christopher Marinello. He is the founder of a company called Art Recovery International, and you can check that out at artrecovery.com. And yeah, you're right. We really don't have any idea about where this infighting is stemming from, but there's alleged uh, threats to destroy certain people, uh, claims of being ruthless, and it's very confusing because... The genesis of these conversations is simply restructuring the return policy for these pieces of art. And it could just be as simple as the recommendation of the museum's board to work with the FBI and issue a a new recovery process because the current one hasn't worked since 1990. And in this episode, Turbo mentions that Anthony Amore, the director of security at the Gardner Museum, has a new book coming out. And he sort of says that it was scheduled to be released in um, March 2020, right around the 30th anniversary, but it was delayed until the fall. Um, Turbo kind of speculates why we cannot confirm um, what he says, but it is for presale, his book. It's called The Woman Who Stole Vermeer, The True Story of Rose Dugdale and the Rustboro House Art Heist. And that is due out this fall. So I just want to say to Chris Marinello and Anthony Amore, if you're listening, if you want to discuss what's going on, please, you have an open door policy. There's there's nothing personal in this from us. But once again, we do agree with the reward price list. You know, if you want to talk about that and start there, that's great. And we have reached out in attempts to secure an interview with Anthony Amore, uh, Christopher Marinello. And for a number of reasons, we have not been able to get them on the show to speak about this. And I guess in a sense, we're going to let the narrative of all this direct us for the remainder of season three. It seems like everything is so turbulent right now. Uh, No pun intended with our guest today, but (laughs) tomorrow things could change. And then the day after that, things could change back. So I guess we're just along for the ride like everybody else. And here we are, the Turbo Ride, part four, Lance. Let's play the interview with Turbo Paul Hendry. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Art Hostage. Turbo Paul Hendry, welcome back to Empty Frames. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing good, you know, um, you know, struggling long like most of us, you know, but I think that we have to be quite stoical and we just have to try to sort of ride this thing out, you know, and uh, um, do the best that we possibly can, you know. How does this uh, pandemic affect you with your work over there in the UK? Um, well, some t- uh, it, it, ironically, it can be a bit of a busman's holiday because um, as I do most of the stuff online, um, and contact people all over the world online uh, from my office in my home. It hasn't affected me 
physically like that perhaps as much as other people. But the fact that, that you know, I'm on lockdown, um, you know, and I've been told that it, that lasts at least till June the 18th, which would be like three months. Um, when you can't go out, even if you don't want to go out, it's not having that choice which obviously can prove to be stressful. Sure can. Yeah, it's weird times out there, but at least we can talk about art crime and we can talk about the Gardner heist and the Gardner artwork recovery effort. Episode one of season three was with Casey Sherman. He spoke a bit about the recovery effort. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go back to the beginning of the year and and take you through a timeline of events that have um, that have happened um, subsequently, and so that you you know you can get some idea of where we stand. At the end of last year, Chris Marinello of Art Recovery International and Anthony Amore came up with a plan for themselves that to mark the 30 years anniversary of the Gardner Art Heist, Anthony Amore would release his book Stealing Vermeers about Rose Dugdale stealing a Vermeer in Ireland in the 70s on the 18th of March 2020 and ride the coattails of the anniversary to promote his book. Chris Marinello was also going to announce on the 18th of March that he is now the independent intermediary on the Gardner case with the permission of the FBI in Boston and Anthony Amore. I then tweeted out um, um, on New Year's Day, um, Chris Marinello put on his Art Recovery International website that he was now the independent in intermediary with law enforcement permission and that he's got an escrow account where he can pay the reward on the Gardner case. I made some comments on Twitter how I thought it was distasteful that Anthony Amore would exploit the 30 years since the Gardner heist by releasing his book Stealing Vermeers um, and also that Chris Marinello. Um, announcing himself as an independent intermediary when, in fact, um, it's quite the opposite. He actually spoke to the lead FBI agent in Boston, Jeff Kelly, to seek his permission to call himself independent. And Jeff Kelly said, yes, you can do that as long as you've got us on speed dial if you get any credible leads, which, OK, is fine. I think um, Chris Marinello then went berserk at me. And then on the 5th of January, Casey Sherman, in his Boston Herald column, published a story saying that there should be changes to the Gardner heist, the way it's investigated, and they should issue a Gardner art reward price list. And he also mentioned that outside investigators with a track record like Arthur Brand should be brought in to assist in the recovery, and yeah. how Anthony Foray was effectively running the Gardner heist investigation like his own personal fiefdom. All right, let's take it step by step. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta take it back a little bit. Um, can you give a little bit more background on this Chris Marinello fellow and how he is, um, and how he came into your world in the first place? Right, Chris Marinello and I, um, I've known him for years. I've always got on very well with him. I've helped him with investigations, um, a current investigation where someone has died. He's chasing a painting that's hanging on the wall of a museum in Japan. I've given him background on that and to help him. Back in 2015, he gave me considerable help when I was applying for an O-1 visa to go to the United States, which I subsequently got. He gave me a glowing reference. So we've got on OK. Um, the problem lies was is that he has a dispute with Arthur Brand because they're in competition. 
and he tried to use me as a proxy to attack Arthur Brand. Okay, and that is, and, and I have a problem with that. And so then what has happened is that he's tried to install himself in the middle of the Gardner case for his own self-publicity reasons. So um, Chris Marinello is actually, what he does, he's a lawyer, right? He doesn't actually physically recover stolen art, say like Arthur Brand does. He's a paperwork guy. If a piece of stolen art surfaces in an auction or it surfaces at a dealer's, the insurance company that paid out the original claim would contact Chris Marinello and say, Chris, can you do the paperwork about legal ownership? He does that and gets 20% of the insurance claim. So on a million dollar um, recovery that surfaced, that he had nothing to do with it surfacing, he does the paperwork and he would get $200,000. And where do you uh, get that information from? How is that uh, 20% uh, the figure that you're certain about? Chris Marinello has told me um, the, the the range of of what they charge in the industry ranges from thirty nine percent Mondex charges, fifty percent Clemens Trousson used to charge, um, the Art Loss Register charges twenty five percent. Chris Marinello says he charges twenty percent of the value of the claim on Nazi looted cases. He says he charges fifteen percent. He also says he does not charge fees. Other art recovery specialists charge ongoing fees, thousands of dollars per month or whatever, and ongoing fees, right? So I got this from Chris Marinello himself. It's no big secret. You can go to his website, Art Recovery International, and all the details are there. Okay. You're saying that him and Amore, Anthony Amore, the museum director of security and the FBI are working together on in the Gardner, and they were going to make some kind of announcement, but it didn't happen? No, 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 no. Um, what was going to happen on the 18th of March 2020, on the 30th anniversary since the Gardner Art Heist, Anthony Amore was releasing his book, Stealing the Mirrors, yeah. right? Okay. And Chris, and, and, and Chris Marinello was going to do media interviews to say, I am now the independent lawyer intermediary on the Gardner Art Heist. If you've got any information or if you want the reward, you can come through me because I'm independent. And that was really a self-promotion act for Anthony Amore and Chris Marinello. They were doing a double act, you know, and they want to promote themselves. Anthony, see, Anthony okay. Amore, Anthony when, Amore, when he got the job, okay, yeah. launched a media campaign to launch his own career, to push himself as I am the number one guy and raise his media profile. He declared himself an expert on art-related crime when he's never had nothing to do with his whole life until he became security director at the Gardner Museum. Okay, but the book didn't come out, right? So this uh, announcement didn't happen? What happened was because I wrote some things on Twitter saying I thought it was distasteful, um, a lot of people follow me on Twitter as art hostage, and a lot of the people that do follow me are quite important people or people with quite strong um, opinions, and Anthony Moray got a lot of blowback. So the publishers have delayed the release until the fall of 2020. So it'll be out about, say, um, September, October, November, because it is distasteful. At the end of the day, he's promoting a book about a story of how another Vermeer was stolen. At the same time, he's meant to be recovering the Gardner art, which he's failed to do so in the last 15 years, but has managed to write three, four books. 
what is going on? It seems like there's so much uh, infighting all of a sudden, you know? And No, no, and, no, 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 no. Yeah. hang on. It's not so much as so much infighting. They had it all their own way, a compliant media. They, they were doing it all in their own way. And then all of a sudden, the voices, my voice was the lone voice in the wilderness decades ago saying, look, stop focusing on, on who, who did it. Let's focus on let's getting the art back. Let's get the art back. Right now, what happened was um, after Casey Sherman's article came out in the Boston Herald, I got a phone call from Chris Marinello, a threatening phone call. He said to me, if you do not remove all tweets about me, Chris Marinello and Anthony Amore, I will destroy you. I, now, this is what the quote was. He said, I will destroy you. I am ruthless. So okay, will, all right. Let's, hang on, let's, hang on, hang on. Okay. So, so, so I reluctantly deleted 36 tweets. I then wrote to Casey Sherman and said, dear Mr. Sherman, your article has provided some blowback. I've just had a threatening phone call from Chris Marinello. I, I want to um I want to get into Casey Sherman's article real quick and and bring up why it became an issue I guess Casey Sherman's article in the Boston Herald January fifth twenty twenty he talks about Arthur Brand and calls him uh you know the Indiana Jones of the art world which is what most people call him he talks about Arthur Brand's successes and then he talks about how Brand is kind of wanting to work in the Gardner on the Gardner case and Sherman reached out to the museum director of security, Anthony Amore. It says during an online conversation, he told me, quote, we have no comment on some guys bleeping Twitter, unquote. Um, and so Casey Sherman basically starts kind of what he, what he ended up saying in episode one of this season, which was Amore should really be taking Arthur brand and your ideas seriously. Well, yeah. I, I mean, to be honest with you, yes. I mean, not specifically. Just take any idea that is progressive, it's proactive, it offers a solution, at least consider it. And if you're going to reject it, come up with legitimate reasons why you would reject it, not yeah. just dismiss it out of hand. You see, look, if the seat, you know, there's another secret, another hot take for empty frames. Anthony Amore loves the Gardner Art Reward Priceless idea. So does Chris Marinello. Chris Marinello told me as much, but they will not support it because it's not going to be credited to them. It's not, they can't get the credit for the idea and it's their ego. They do not want anyone to get any credit for anything other than themselves. Well, re relinquish the credit right here, Turbo. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no, easier way. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm wondering why there can't be a compromise here because it's been so long and perhaps they do uh, let their egos get in the way of uh, taking on a good idea, but why couldn't it just be like a group effort and they, they can get the credit for accepting this idea and saying, okay, we're going to move forward with this idea. Is it really that petty? Well, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, um, the pendulum of sort of egos has swung back, swung, swung backwards and forwards. I mean, let's go to the timeline, okay, about the reward and who played what. In the beginning, when the theft happened, Shortly after, two, um, two auction houses, Sotheby's and Christie's, offered a million dollars reward, okay? Then Anne Hawley, the then director of the Gardner Museum, said that she had a lead that would blow open the case. The FBI in Boston wrote a letter to the, um, and got the um, U.S. attorney 
to write a letter to the Board of Trustees of the Gardner Museum threatening them if they made a private recovery, they would be arrested. Then all of a sudden, the pe- so that is on record. Everyone knows I, that. I gotta, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I got to ask about that. Can you go back like two sentences? They would make they would arrest somebody. That part. Say that again. FBI Boston got the U.S. attorney to write a letter to the Board of Trustees of the Gardner Museum and say, if you make a private recovery, you will be prosecuted. Okay, they they would hold them to account because Anne Hawley had said and she said this in an article in the media that, 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 that she had a lead that would blow the case open. Okay, so that's that's the first that that's the pendulum swinging towards the museum wants to engage, wants to wants to have a recovery and would pay a reward. The FBI wants none of it. Mm. We then move we then we then move forward to to the next opportunity is when Amore comes on board. Okay, and he promotes himself. The FBI starts to take a back seat in this, really. And it's the museum who's not going to give an inch. The board of trustees who are not going to give an inch. They're not looking to engage with anyone. Okay, so now we're at the position where the FBI have got much more important cases to investigate, cases of life and death, really serious cases. This is just a cold case sitting over in the corner, which Amore has been allowed to dominate and to be able to use as his own personal fiefdom to support his own career, his media profile, his man about town, his political candidate for Secretary of State of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And he, he, other than the thieves um, and those within the underworld, is the only person who seems to have profited from the Gardner heist apart from the museum. Well, you can't blame him for trying to, um, you know, take some other opportunities, you know. And and I think the Gardner heist would have been solved a long time ago if it was easy to solve, you know. So I think that needs to be said. Like, it, it's not like Anthony Amore doesn't want the paintings back. Or no, even, no, 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 no. I've know. never said that. No, yeah, Anthony, yeah. Amore, Anthony Amore wants the paintings back on his terms and his terms alone. There's no wiggle room. There's no negotiation. There's no consideration. That's what I'm saying. See, look, what you have to understand, guys, and this is a broader perspective of the stolen art world. Imagine a room with all the stolen art in the world inside. You have two doors to that room. One door is the door law enforcement and Anthony Amore and investigators use to keep chipping away to try to get in. That door opens every now and again, and they go in and they snatch some stolen art back, and maybe arrest people, indict them. That happens every now and again. The other door is covered in cobwebs, because that is the door where a private recovery happens, where you negotiate with the person on the other side of the door, and the door opens and the art comes out, and whatever is negotiated goes in, and it slams shut again. So that's the door I'm saying we should be using in the Gardner case after 30 years. Yes, when, like the Van Gogh was stolen a couple of months ago in Holland, that is being investigated through stolen art door number one, with law enforcement trying to chip away and smash the door down, recover the Van Gogh, arrest people. Yes, right. But the Gardner case should be door two, the cobweb-filled door that gets used very, very rarely. I can name cases where it's happened. The Turner case, it's happened. 
several other cases that it's happened where it's been decided that the re recovery of the artwork is more important than prosecutions. The thing that gives the Gardner case the advantage is that there's been so long a time, 30 years. Now, they've tried everything to go through door number one, and they can't get through it. No one has ever been able to crack door number one. So all I'm saying is let's try door number two now. Do you think that there's something beyond um, the ego? Do you think that if they don't, maybe they don't want to open that door because they're afraid of what is actually behind that door? Well, that can be accommodated. The fact is, is that if someone hands back the art and if someone is paid a reward for that specific gardener artwork, because there's going to be a gardener art reward price list, so say a Dagar goes back and it's $100,000, the Dagar goes back, the person gets the $100,000 and that's the end of it. No inquiries, what did you know, who did you know, where did it come from? So they can cover themselves that way. If people say, what about the dark um, the dark shadows? They say, well, we didn't investigate those because we're, all our efforts were just trying to recover the art. Okay, how does one um, claim the reward? So if they, if they return something and it's $100,000, where does that uh, exchange of money happen? How does that happen? Well, there'll be, a, there'll be an agreement. They can use a lawyer, you know, to say that they um, the Gardner Museum will honour the agreement. But, okay. I mean, you know, um, let's not get ahead of ourselves. The thing we want at the moment, right, because there is zero there, the olive branch we're looking for is the Gardner Art Reward Price List. So there's 13 different rewards offered, and then we can move on to talk about the conditions. The condition, right, um, I've come up with an idea where it says good condition. Why not say two words, restorable condition? Now, restorable yes. condition, yeah. I believe, is broad enough to cover the fact that it won't be in good condition, um, bad condition, horrible condition. Whatever condition it's in, as long as it is restorable, okay, the reward will be paid. That again, that's you know that is something quite simple. Change the word "good condition" to "restorable condition." Yeah, I think that's an obvious one. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. But you know, as we go along the pro, you know, as we progress along, you know, my first number one priority is the garden art reward price list because it's benign enough not to affect the investigation, not to affect absolutely anything. Once that's established and it's been publicly issued. Then we can move on to, say, a restorable condition. Then we can move on to, say, how would the reward be paid? Then we can even get a lawyer to say, can you give us a template legal agreement which covers all bases that everyone has to sign? And if someone doesn't sign it, like the museum, say, well, then you're not acting in good faith. If the FBI or U.S. attorney won't sign off, then they're not acting in good faith. That's the, that, that's the pathway that I see. But let's just stay on. on we're on first base now, you know, of get, trying to get the Gardner Art Reward price list as an olive branch. Yeah. Who would be the ultimate decision maker in changing the way the recovery process is uh, going about? It's uh, going about right now. Who would who would be the one to be like, yes, this is how we're doing it. Is it the FBI, the board? Again, that's like a pendulum. And because it's such a cold case, because the vast majority of agents at the FBI in Boston, right, weren't around at the time of the Gardner heist, are totally new, right, do not have any of the baggage of the dark days of Boston and the FBI. I believe they are sagreen about this. You know, they are, 
they don't really, you, you know, they're not bothered by this. They, you know, you know, they say, okay, fair enough. They've given control to Anthony Amore. Anthony Amore would have to go to the board of trustees and the board of trustees would have to approve that. So I believe the route for this is the um, Gardner Museum Board of Trustees. You know, I don't believe the FBI, um, I don't believe the FBI care at this point one way or the other, to be honest with you. Right. Okay. Um, so, and, and you've got that. And that was evident from Casey Sherman, who says he has firsthand knowledge of the current Boston FBI. And he said that they are, um, they've got far more important things to do. So if, if someone goes to the FBI and say, would you object to a Gardner Art Reward price list? I would say they would say it's not our decision. It's up to the Gardner Museum. Um, but we don't have any objections. One more question on the board of the museum. How many members are on that board and uh, are they all public knowledge? First of all, yes, I tweeted out um, um, a list of the, there's a board of trustees, there's life trustees, and then there's board of advisors. Goodness knows how much that costs to fund. There's must be 50 of them. Yeah, maybe we can somehow appeal to them if they're exactly. uh, the, the powers that be here. Oh, they no, no, they really are. Well, they have to sign off and, and these people had the ultimate decision, the actual board of trustees. You know, um, um, there was a report when they renewed the $10 million reward offer. It was done by Steve Kidder, which I thought is ironic. You know, is Steve Kidder kidding? <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, so let's continue on that on the um, the timeline that, that we were uh, discussing. And I'm sorry that, that I kind of uh, interrupted. I wanted to get to some of um, some of what Casey Sherman wrote in that article from the Boston Herald. Tim, don't ever derail the turbo train. <laughs> sorry. As long as I can get back to where I was. I think um, um, what had happened, uh, Casey Sherman had published his article. I got the threatening phone call from Marinello. I wrote to Casey Sherman and said, I've just had a threatening phone call. Casey Sherman didn't contact me back. But a day and a half later, I got a phone call from Marinello saying, are you cooperating with a follow-up story by Casey Sherman about bullying and threatening from Anthony Amore and myself um, at the museum? I said, I said, I don't know what you're talking about, because it was true. I hadn't spoken to Casey Sherman. I wrote to him. He hadn't got back to me. He said, oh, well, Casey Sherman's sniffing around at the museum. He said, and Chris Marinello said, I've got a contact at the Boston Herald who's ticked me off and doesn't like Casey Sherman. So I went, oh, OK. So I then wrote further to Casey Sherman and he hadn't wrote back to me. Dear Mr. Sherman, I've just had Chris Marinello saying that he's got a contact at the Boston Herald, that you're doing a follow up on the um, on your article on the Gardner case about bullying. Casey Sherman then writes back to me and says um, he hasn't got a contact at the Boston Herald. What happened was I made inquiries yesterday at the museum with Anthony Amore, the communications director and the press secretary, about bullying from Amore and Marinello towards Turbo Paul. He said Anthony Amore got straight on the phone to Marinello and that's why he called you. Um, he said, so obviously um, I've, caught, I've caught them in the middle of the act. So I went, oh, OK. Subsequently, there was an email exchange between Casey Sherman and Chris Marinello 
of which I was copied in, Anthony Amore was copied in, the communications director of the Gardner Museum and the press secretary were copied in, which you guys actually have copies of, which you can see Casey Sherman calling out Marinello for, for lying about making the threats and the museum and Anthony Moray and saying that Casey Sherman's going to share it with his Boston Herald, Herald column readers very shortly. The story was due to be published on Monday, the 26th of January. On Sunday, the 25th of January, I got contacted by Casey Sherman saying he was no longer writing his Boston Herald column. But not to worry, he's a senior writer at the Boston Magazine and he would get the article published closer to the anniversary. On February the 6th, I got contacted by Casey Sherman and he said the editor at the Boston Magazine has given the green light for the article to be published on the 18th of March to coincide with the anniversary. On the 18th of March, the article was not only spiked and not published, it was replaced by a puff piece about Anthony Amore. Casey Sherman was so angry, so fuming, that he self-published his article that was, should have been published in eight devastating tweets on Twitter. He self-published them, right? And there was obviously um, a reaction towards them. Then what happened was Casey Sherman then followed it up with an interview with you guys explaining about Anthony Moore and that, but obviously, and now where we are is that um, I'm explaining the true circumstances, the bigger picture behind all of what has gone on here. Yeah, and uh, and we have some of Casey Sherman's tweets here, and uh, and they were published right after the uh, or right on the anniversary in 2020 on his Twitter. And he said, if thuggery and intimidation are the tactics being used to quash valid criticism at Gardner Museum director Peggy Fogelman should step in and make changes immediately. And he says, first off, it's time for Anthony Amore to go. He's never recovered a single stolen piece of art. Imagine if the Patriots never won a Patriot, uh, a playoff game in 15 years. So he goes on. Um, he says, time for a change if we want to recover the art before another 30 years passes. You can't uh, dispute the track record. Let's forget about Anthony Mora. Let's just say the security director of the Gardner Museum, the lead investigator on the Gardner case, has not recovered any Gardner art in 15 years. doesn't matter what his name is. You know, at the end, yeah. at the end yeah. of the day... Um, you know, it's a track record that speaks for itself. Well, it sounds like his hands are a little bit tied, though, doesn't it, with um, the board of trustees? No, 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 hang on. Don't you think it could be the other way around? His recommendations will be con will be considered. If he went to the board and they said no, they'd have to come up with a reason why. And so, you know, and so off the record, he likes the Gardner Art Reward price list. The FBI would like the Gardner Art Reward price list. But, you know, they've got more important things to do. OK, so it's now down to Anthony Amore and the Board of Trustees. And the Board of Trustees only, they work on recommendations. Oh, I've got the perfect idea. Why don't we present this idea to the Board of Trustees and they can call, we can call it the Board of Trustees plan. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Done. Yeah, the trustee recovery program. Yeah, okay, that's fine. And speaking of recovery programs, I just wonder that back in March there was an article um, how the AAM were 
calling on Congress to bail out Boston museums, including the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Now, obviously, um, I'm saying they could be a deserving cause, but if they're going to accept public money from the public purse as a bailout because of the lockdown, then surely doesn't the public get an opinion to say, what have you been doing for 30 years to recover your stolen gardener art? And more importantly, what are you going to do proactively going forward to make sure you get some of that art back on the walls? We didn't have an interest before because you're a private museum, but now we've given you federal money and Congress bailout money. We feel that we've got um, a say in perhaps how you conduct the Gardner case investigation. Does Anthony Moray have some sort of like fixed tenure? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm just wondering why. I mean, I'm thinking about every job that I've had in my life. And, you know, it's not like I've gone through a ton of jobs. But if from the start of my job, the one thing that I was in charge of wasn't getting done, I wasn't executing my tasks, I probably would uh, have a couple of peer to peer reviews. I would probably have maybe um, a warning. Uh, I'm just wondering what's keeping him employed. He's a security director. Yeah, but I'm sure they cross stuff off, you know, while they while they've never recovered one of the items. Um, I, I would ho- I mean, I'm sure they've crossed things off. And, you know, in, in some of our other shows, we say how important that is, too. It's almost just as important as, you know, focusing in on something. Yeah. OK, so if what you're saying is perhaps it was like a certain person of interest and Anthony Amore proved that this person had nothing to do with it. So they're like, good. Yeah. You know, well, well done. And we don't know. Yeah. Like it, it is a shame that we don't know, um, you know, what he's crossed off or what is being worked on or anything. I mean, uh, I think they, they've sort of tried to change their strategy in the last few years and using the last scene podcast for publicity to try to drum up, um, you know, this stolen artwork. But. Yeah, I think the other pieces need to be in place, which is that reward price list and some of the wording there. What has happened, you see, the the timeline of the pendulum, where the museum tried to go out on its own and make a private recovery, the FBI blocked them. The museum then tried again in 2005 to 2007, when they employed Rocky, an ex-Scotland Yard detective, and they paid him $150,000, a car, a hotel, and, and that was for two years of failure. Well, Arthur Brand has said he would do it free of charge. He doesn't want any of the reward at all. And if you look at his record, he could, you know, you know, you could allow him to make a recovery. But the problem is that everyone has, and they've had, you know, I've had it when I spoke to, when I was trying to do the Irish angle with uh, Tom Slab Murphy, ex-chief of staff of the IRA, you get to the point where all of a sudden someone says, what's the deal? So then, then what is the deal? Okay, who's going to get paid? So what happens if Arthur Brand comes to Anthony Moran and says, I've got a good lead, I can recover one of the Gardner artworks, it's $100,000 on the price list, you can pick it up and I want paying the money. Well, Amore is going to say no. He's going to say no, we're not going to do that. Are you sure? Well, of course he is, because that's because he, they're not interested. Or if he says... If you say to him, Maureen, I want you to sign this legal agreement that as soon as it's recovered, the money's paid. He's not going to do that. Okay, because I think I, I heard him on another podcast saying that that they would accept art, anyone who was ready to no, return art. It, exactly. He also said in an article, he said, I'd, I, he said, I'd make a deal with the devil to recover the gardener art. 
Right, that's yeah. when he was trying. Um, look, he swung like a pendulum backwards and forwards since 2006 when he got the job. Okay, so he says one thing. He speaks with a forked tongue. He speaks out of both sides of his mouth because that's what he's paid to do. Okay, but the thing is, is they've tried everything. Everyone out there who has any information or, or, or can provide an avenue to hand back the gardener art is savvy enough now with two Google clicks knows that it's a trap. It, they know it's a trap. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, it does it does kind of read like that. Um, but I just want to point out here in uh, in that same Boston Herald article from Casey Sherman in January of 2020, he quotes Arthur Brand here at the end. He says, Amore calls me some guy, but I have recovered six stolen pieces of art in the past year alone. And what has he found? He goes on to say, I always pace myself in the minds of the thieves. I have a track record of success while after nearly 30 years, the museum is still sitting on nothing. Of course. And that speaks for itself. And the fact is, is that minor, small minutia, you know, a small detail like the Gardner Art Reward price list, there's such pushback against it. Well, no, it's not even pushback. It's dismissed out of hand. It's as if they don't want to recover it because they don't want to kill the goose that lays the golden egg. Their egos, their careers, that it's, you know, it's something for them to talk about, you know, it's to promote themselves. And it's an egotistical ride right, which has prevented any gardener art being recovered. Now, if everyone would just step back and say, hang on, how can we actually recover some of this? I think there'd be more cooperation. You know, go directly to the board. Go directly to Peggy, the, the director. I mean, she must be looking at all of this stuff and going, hang on a minute, because, look, the museum, they're not stupid. They watch everything, read everything. They listen to every single word. Okay, and when they when they see that, they know that this is a growing storm. You know, you know, they can see that at the end of the day, the dissent is not for the sake of it. The dissent is backed up by primary hard evidence. And the problem is, is the way that they normally react to that is to ignore it. And then and then once it can't once it can't be ignored anymore, they have to address it. You said that uh, they're afraid that they'll lose the goose that laid the golden egg. But. Is it really all about, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, is it really all about egotism that's preventing them from doing this? Because a recovery of one piece of that stolen uh, property, one piece, would would be insane for their business. It would be, I mean, at some point, this these frames on the walls and come to, you know, take the tour of the heist and uh, the walking, the virtual walking tour of the heist, at some point, that's going to get old. It's already kind of old. Um, they couldn't figure out how to do a season two of last scene because they told this they told the story and and they they did that same like narrative that's done all the time with the heist and they can't do something else because they've just reached that impasse where this is this is what everybody talks about with the heist that's going to get old that's it's already getting old yes um, Lance you are correct in what you say but you have to remember that, that um, an investigation is a one-dimensional thing from a prosecutorial perspective. At the end of the day, they would rather recover nothing or if they have to concede any ground. That is, and, and that's basically what it is. Law enforcement now, for the first time, are probably thinking, hang on, we've got so, we, all the agents know nothing about the Gardner case, only in mythology, and it's one of the last dark shadows to, to um, be hanging over the Boston office. We don't really are not really interested. Let Anthony and Moray get on with it. 
Okay, now so all of a sudden, if he can recover something, why why not? And then you say the reason is is because they won't they won't allow recovery unless it is on their terms. And everyone has to get on board with this. You also have to remember the FBI are only involved because they're investigating it under the 1994 um, Theft of a Major Artwork Act. So anyone caught with any of that uh, or knowledge of the Gardner art gets 10 years in federal prison with no possibility of parole. So part of any agreement would have to be, hang on a minute, that's not going to be applied in this case. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves because, you know, I'm not asking for everything now. I'm just saying, can we not just take this baby step forward and offer the Gardner Art Reward price list as an olive branch to whomever is out there? If that provide, if that proves to be fruitful, great. If it doesn't, we can move on and say, let's add restorable condition to the reward offer. And then that may be. Um, fruitful. If that's not fruitful, we can say, well, hang on, let's add the legal aspect to it. Even though the reward price list kind of seems like it could be a trap to us and to thieves, I think Amore and the museum kind of insist that it's not. Still, again, two thieves, or maybe just the people who have the art, they don't trust it. Like, the, like I, I've heard, I'm pretty sure I've heard Amore say, I- insist that they're not looking to prosecute anyone. So if that's really true, then just change the wording a little bit and there's no credit needed to anybody. Well, no, that's that's the thing. You see, that's where the mixed messages comes out. You know, it's the fact that, yes, we want our art back. We do, it's $10 million. And then don't look over here where all the conditions are. And also, I think we uh, after 30 years, can we stop talking about original thieves? Can we? Because what that conjures up is, is you're crediting someone for a bad act that was done. Can we start calling those people with the garden art handlers? Can we, you know, delete that term original thieves from the entire gardener case um, conversation? When I see people write, oh, original thieves, right, it's such a stretch to imagine that, that those people would have the gardener art after 30 years. So let's talk about the people that have, you know, let's move that along to there are people that have possession of the Gardner art, but they're not the original thieves. Because all the time you keep saying original thieves, the public sort of thinks, well, hang on a minute, we can't, we can't just allow original thieves to commit a crime and get away with it. Don't matter if it's 30 years, because the truth is they're not. Right? The people that have got this are one, two, three, four, um, four stages away from the actual theft could be five, six, seven stages away from the actual theft. So in actual fact, um, I'm not trying to absolve them of any responsibility, but, you know, let's just try to get it clear now. The term original thieves doesn't apply here now. We're talking about those who have possession. So you think that they're, um, or maybe you don't believe this, but do you think that they are all together or do you think that they're spread out? No. No, of course not. The likelihood of them being all together is billions to one. Because, look, when you steal those 13 artworks, immediately, even to the, the rudimentary eye, you would think, well, those those are more valuable than those. And the drawings, what about, you know, and then you've got a, this bronze vase and you've got an, 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 eag- an eagle thing. You know, do you really think that they're going to keep them all together? The 13? Of course they're not. 
they're going to be split up all over the place. And the original thieves might have said, I'll have two drawings, you have two drawings, um, I'll have the eagle, you can have the beaker. And then they go off and then one of the drawings gets passed to someone else for $1,000 or $2,000. And the Vermeer and, and the Storm on the Sea and Lady and Gentleman in Black and the Manet, they could beat it. Well, no, the Manet's a different subject altogether. But, you know, you know at the end of the day, the likelihood of, uh, of them all being together, I think, is remote, to say the least. But even if that was the case, and there is someone that knows there's all 13 bits of there, you've got to do something when you've tried everything else to tempt them to actually step forward or to do something. And, they've, and, and authorities in the Gardner Museum have done absolutely zero in that effect. All they've done is they've tried to pander to the public you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. When the people they should be pandering to are the people that can re, um, that can re recover the stolen art. Because those people from day one, as Tim quite rightly said previously, you know, in the underworld, um, the gardener art is radioactive. It's, it's not worth the problems that you're going to get with it. So you just leave it well alone. They stay a mile away from it. They're not interested. Anyone who could have, tr have tried to recover the gardener art We've seen over the years what's happened to them. Go from Billy Youngworth to um, Garante to Gentile to um, uh, uh, um, um, the guys at the chop shop. Um, yep. You know, yep. all, all of those things, anyone who's attempted to try and make a deal has had their life completely turned upside down and destroyed. However, I would say maybe the FBI's attitude is different now and they're not looking for that if we can take what Casey Sherman says as gospel, which I genuinely do. He's a man of integrity, a man of his word and an honest man. He says he's got a close relationship with them and they're not bothered. Well, then you focus on the museum and say, well, come on, then, if you really want this stuff back. And even even as a little bit of a pressure point, say, well, hang on a minute, you know, you're going to get a bailout from Congress, you know, because of the lockdown. Don't you think, um, you know, you should maybe consider something proactive on the gardener case that could recover some gardener art? For example, a small baby step an olive branch of the Gardner Art Reward price list. Are you concerned that none of these uh, pieces of art exist anymore because nothing's surfaced? And maybe, I mean, I'm thinking that if someone had knowledge of it, we're talking about Casey Sherman, who has written a bunch of books. He's had movies made out of his books. Why isn't anybody reaching out to Casey Sherman and saying, listen, I want to stay anonymous. I, I know where the artwork is. I can, I can recover at least like this and this and this, but I want to sign a exclusivity deal with you you're going to write my story about this why i mean someone could make a ton of money off of this well you say yeah you look you say that the problem is is that they all know that trying to facilitate the return of the art without getting um the clenched fist of you know of god's own thunder come crashing down on your house is remote to say the least and you know i mean casey sherman is a very influential genuine person but he's not a lawyer I mean, he may be able to protect his source to a certain extent, but then what happens if they grab Casey Sherman and put him up in front of a grand jury and say, who is your contact? I don't know. What would that be? He, would he have to say, would he have to reveal his source or would he have to go to jail for 18 months of the life of the grand jury? You see, so there's all these things. And you've got to remember that the, 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 the momentum, the big mo, is only just starting. You know, Casey Sherman self-published his article, which in my book, an esteemed writer and journalist has to self-publish an article because he's censored by 
powers that be within Boston who don't want any negative publicity towards the Garden Museum because of access, because they might get frozen out. You know, this is the power that they wield. You know, that's a story in itself. I mean, I'm surprised, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure he has his own reasons. I mean, and I won't go into them, but that is a news article in itself it, that Casey Sherman had to self-publish his article and he's gone on, to, you know, empty frames to explain the situation to a certain extent. I mean, for me, that's a story in itself, you know, censorship. Bob Whitman was the founder of the FBI art crime team and was extremely successful in making recoveries, launching sting operations, working undercover. And during one of these operations, he was working with um, some um, gangsters from Marseille and Corsica, where he eventually recovered tens of millions of dollars worth of stolen art, not the Gardner art, sadly, but they said they had a lead on it. He then went back to the Boston office of the FBI and said, I've got a lead on the Gardner case. And they blocked him at every angle one of the, uh, the agents from the Boston office flew with Bob Whitman to France and they had discussions with the French police, but there was all kinds of fallings out. The guy from Boston, uh, Boston FBI had a gun and he shouldn't have done this and was trying to bully his way through and it all fell apart. When Bob Whitman left the FBI, um, he wrote about this in his book, um, How I Went Undercover, Priceless or whatever it was. He then had to endure a campaign of... Um, intimidation from the FBI in Boston, and he appeared on a panel, and I think it was um, hosted by Brian Ross, um, on the Gardner case. And on the panel was Anthony Amore, Bob Whitman, and someone else. And then Brian Ross, the host, spoke to um, Bob Whitman and said, you've got a completely different idea to Anthony Amore about the Gardner case, and you've got a hot lead. And he said, yeah, I have. He said, have you shared it with Anthony? And then Anthony uh, dismissed, he said, yeah, he has, um, uh, but there's no likelihood. And he dismissed him out of hand and slapped him right down. Bob Whitman was really, really fuming about this. He was not very happy about this at all. Okay, And it shows, um, um, it shows the arrogance of Anthony Amore would just dismiss the ex-head um, of the FBI art crime team. Um, based in Philadelphia, obviously not Boston. What was the lead that he had? He had a lead from these um, Corsican gangsters that they could put their hands on some of the gardener up for a price. And it was never followed up. Um, and then afterwards, um, Bob Whitman was uh, uh, retired um, and that was the end of it. I, I, we, we've reached out to Bob Whitman a couple of times. I really hope that he gets back to us because he would be a great guest on the show. I'll even go as far as to say, if he doesn't want to uh, have any deals with this uh, Corsican uh, gangster uh, syndicate, I'll volunteer. Bob, Mr. Whitman, if you, if you want to sit this one out, I'm, I'm, I'm totally game for this. Yeah, I mean, look, listen, um, the, the underworld is a series of circles, small circles. So you could go to the IRA, you've got Corsican gangsters, you could go to South American drug barons, you could go to people traffickers, Eastern European uh, arms dealers, and say, do you know anything about the gardener art? We can give you a million dollars. They would reach out and probably find a good lead on it because they know all the people all around the world. The world's a small place. I got something better than that. I'll just, they, can, they, have, a guest, they have a guest spot on empty frames. The problem is, is that you get with every single occasion is, OK, well, we've got a lead. Now, how do we turn that lead into handling it back, getting paid and no one being scrutinized? And then once you get there, you get to a brick wall. 
you know, when I went, I had a meeting with FBI agent Mike Wilson in the American embassy in London and said, look, I can get a deal done from Ireland where some gardener art will be handed back, but they, um, they, um, they don't want any scrutiny um, and the reward has to be paid. He went back to FBI headquarters, run it up the flagpole and they said, sorry, no deals. That was decades ago. There's going to be a documentary series coming about the Irish angle, but I was doing this ten uh, decades ago. I tried it. I've tried loads of times, but you always get to the brick wall where people say, right, now let's have a deal. And then you can't get a deal. Do you have any more information on the upcoming Netflix series about the Gardner Heist? The only information I have is that um, Barnacle TV, um, a TV production company from New York, um, got a four-part series um, to do on the Gardner case from the angle of Martin the Viper Foley, um, who robbed Rusper House in the 80s with the general um, and stole a Vermeer amongst other paintings, was going to try to recover some Gardner art using Tom Slab Murphy, the ex-chief of staff of the IRA. If he could recover it, he was going to use the reward to pay off a tax bill he owes to the Irish government of like um, a million dollars. Okay, well, we know the outcome. You know, he can get as far as, yeah, okay, we'll have a deal um, from, from, say, the Irish Republican the, um, and the Irish Republican side. But the minute you go back to the FBI or the Garden Museum, they'll say, well, no, of course they're not going to have any kind of deal. And one of the conditions that certain people who appear in it, I think Amore might appear in it, Dick Ellis and Charlie Hill, but they said we will only appear as long as Turbo Paul and Arthur Brand are not allowed to appear in this. How do you know that? Because I have an insider um, at the TV production company, um, um, a researcher, who actually told me this. But the problem is, is that we know we know what the outcome is, is that there's no art recovered at the end. Right. Which has always been the problem with anyone um, doing anything on the Gardner case. It's called a payoff for the viewer. You know, um, the main thing when you pitch, pitch something to a TV company, a movie company or anyone, is they say, what's the payoff? Can you imagine Titanic if at the end it doesn't sink? Oh, spoiler. Well, uh, that was going to be my point when Tim started to talk about this new Netflix series. I think a lot of people have this, uh, uh, I guess, misconception that these true crime stories will get solved at the end because of, say, making a murderer or something. Or, I mean, that's not even a good example, like the jinx, where something just crazy happens and, and you actually get a resolution. That is so rare. There's... There's dozens and dozens of other true crime documentaries and doc docu series that have no resolution. And like you said, if there was a resolution to this, we'd already know. Also, the problem is as well there is um, there's a possible resolution that we've been discussing. There's a pathway to recover some gardener art. Missing Moore and Murray, you know, you 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 you're you're looking for new evidence. You're looking to try to crack something. We've already cracked it. You know, we can crack it. You know, the Gardner case is not impossible. It's it's because of the behaviour, right, of those people tasked with recovering the Gardner art that none of it's been recovered. If they was to actually be more proactive and to be um, a little bit more flexible, okay, there's an opportunity to recover it. So, in other words, it's not like a lot of the other true crime ones, but the story is not yet ready to be told. Because all you can do is regurgitate what happened on the night and then speculate as to what happened since then. And I've never focused on that. From all the people that you would will speak to, and we said this when we first met years ago, I am the person looking for looking through the front um, the front windscreen. Most people looking the rear view mirror. You know, let's catch the rabbit before we divide it up. 
let's have a post-mortem, but can we not try to recover the art first? Surely that's got to be the number one priority. And then we can speculate from our armchairs and we can do all this kind of he did, she, he said this, she did that, and all the other kind of semantics, right? But this has been done as a distraction. Last scene was a, a distraction. Last scene podcast was to get everyone looking in the rearview mirror and speculating on what happened. They did not address the biggest fundamental question on the Gardner art heist is how do we recover the Gardner art now? And, and what has happened is, is that people get brainwashed and they get, um, and they get indoctrinated. Even you guys, when you came into this, you know, you looked at this and from a lot of things, you know, um, you were looking at it from a perspective of what's happened. And, and, and then all of a sudden we met and I tried to explain to you, well, hang on, you're perhaps looking in the wrong place. And all of a sudden there was a kind of conversion. I saw it in you guys. You went, well, hang on a minute. He's right. We're looking over our shoulder instead of looking ahead. When you're just discovering like the the fine details of this case, it is fascinating, and you do want to sort of like flush all of those details out, and it does play out like an old fashioned who done it. So you you know just you kind of naturally want to figure that one out. Sure, sure, and that's a perfectly legitimate, honourable, noble thing to do, but it doesn't get the art back on the wall. 